0: Hi, my name is Christos Genakos. Um, I'm a senior lecturer at the Economics and Policy Group uh, at the Judge Business School. And um, I have here with me a distinguished group of uh, colleagues, Um, the occasion being that we are holding up um, a conference uh, celebrating 25 years of the European Single Market, Um, that um, the articles are going to come out uh, as a special issue of the Review of Industrial Organization. Um, And I have here a distinguished group of colleagues um, that I want to introduce you that they're going to talk about uh, certain areas um, of competition and product markets and the impact that the European uh, Union had uh, for the last uh, 25 years or the evolution of the market uh, in the last 25 years. Um, So let me start with uh, Professor Yanis Katsoulakos from the Athens
1: University of Economics and Business. Welcome Yanis. Hello, Christo. Thank you very much for the invitation uh, to to be part of this project, and, uh, to present in this very nice conference. So I'm going to be talking about uh, developments in antitrust over the last 25 years, and uh, also the challenges that uh, we are still facing in uh, Europe with uh, antitrust. Uh, I should say that I do concentrate on antitrust. I do not have much to say about mergers, where things have moved actually in a faster and a more satisfactory way than they have done uh, antitrust. Uh, in antitrust the d- developments were motivated by a number of uh, factors. Uh, let me point uh, out two uh, with uh, which in, in, uh, which had diverse uh, results. Uh, the first was uh, to improve procedurally and make more efficient the enforcement of uh, uh, competition law in, in antitrust, and I think that uh, with various measures uh, that uh, this, uh, to a very large extent, has been achieved. But the second objective was to improve the substantive assessment of uh, cases in antitrust in uh, Europe, and uh, the motivation for that came from uh, uh, having uh, a very uh, deep, uh, old-seated influence of the old-liberal school in. Uh, Antitrust in Europe and in Member States, and, uh, the desire to um, uh, liberate ourselves from this, and, uh, move uh, from uh, the idea of uh, assessing antitrust cases uh, uh, not in relation to how they uh, impact on rivals, but uh, to how they impact on consumers or efficiency. And uh, I think in terms of this objective, the, uh, the, the movement has been extremely slow, and, uh, especially in recent years. Uh, uh, perhaps I should uh, use the more stronger uh, term. I, they have been uh, quite uh, disappointing. So what we are doing in uh, the paper is to trace out these developments on, uh, in relation to the second objective, to see what the, uh, the, the various regulations that have been introduced, Um, and uh, to present also some uh, uh, quantitative uh, evidence uh, in relation to what has been done and then try to uh, to, uh, understand uh, the the reason why uh, it seems as if uh, uh, we have failed to achieve this objective. uh, I think the main reason is that uh, in uh, Europe uh, the courts um, are still using the wrong substantive standard which is uh, still not welfareist it's something different from welfareist so there are they have a, a, a number of different objectives this is one thing which creates problems but uh, also the fact that their main objective is not related to welfare is what I think creates the uh, the main problem. And it is uh, the fact that they are using the wrong substantive standard that leads them to also use the wrong uh, legal standards and use much more per se type of, uh, of rules rather than uh, uh, effects based types of rules.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much, Jens. Um, our next guest is uh, Professor Margaret Kyle from uh, Mainz Paris Tech and also the CPR. And uh, her research is related to pharmaceuticals. Margaret, welcome.
2: Thank you very much. So my paper focuses on a specific sector in the EU um, where we've seen quite a number of changes as a a result of the creation of the EU. In particular, uh, with the the EU came the European Medicines Agency, which uh, allowed us to move from a system in which each country was responsible for providing marketing authorizations for, uh, for new drugs in the local market to now the possibility of receiving a marketing authorization for all EU countries from one uh, one body. And as a result of the EMA, new drugs uh, now arrive in Europe with a shorter lag relative to the rest of the world than, than was previously the case. They reach more countries, and therefore, on average, uh, access to new drugs, I would say, in Europe has improved as a a result of uh, this pan-EU body, this this centralized procedure. Um, So there's, I I think that's that's pretty much unambiguously good news uh, for uh, for market integration. Where uh, where we still lag a bit is along two dimensions. so one, uh, one interesting feature of the EU is that even though we want a single market, for certain sectors there remain national competencies. And in particular, in healthcare, that's considered, healthcare is considered a national competence. And Pricing of pharmaceuticals, in, in particular regulation of pricing of pharmaceuticals, is also at the national level. So we're in a situation where you can get a pan-EU marketing authorization, but you still have to, as a, as a producer of a drug, you still need to negotiate separately with each country over price and reimbursement. And of course, countries have different ability to pay or willingness to pay, and so the result of all of this is that we seek very different prices uh, for new drugs across uh, across EU countries, and in a way that could be efficient because, of course, the ability to pay of Bulgaria and Romania versus Sweden and uh, and Germany, the, that's quite different. And so, this could be good for access as well. Could, it could be efficient. However. This bumps up against other efforts in Europe to integrate markets. So for example, <laughs> parallel trade, which allows uh, arbitrage of price differences for drugs and other products across EU countries. For me, it's quite difficult to reconcile the idea that we should have free movement of goods when prices are set, are regulated at a national level. Um, and so I think this is a tension that, uh, that we still struggle with. It's, it's difficult to have the two. The other uh, area where I think we haven't seen as much integration as, as we might want is actually for older drugs, for generic drugs. So in particular, these are drugs that were approved in different EU countries prior to the creation of the EMA. And so, uh, generic entrants generally then need to go get approval at the national level. You can't go to the EMA for these older drugs because the EMA wasn't the the body that originally granted the the originator marketing authorization. Uh, So the costs of generic entry, the fixed costs of launching in Europe are still relatively high as compared to a situation maybe in 20 years when everything will be done by the EMA and you have a one-stop shop for regulatory approval. Uh, Also, because European pharmaceutical markets vary quite a lot from country to country, the incentives for generic entry vary quite a lot, and the extent of generic competition varies quite a lot. And uh, so, in in fact, in in generics where we would expect perfect competition to lead to prices close to marginal cost and convergence towards a marginal cost uh, throughout Europe, we actually still see quite a lot of variation in generic pricing across countries, uh, very different um, penetration of generics and, uh, um, and market share of generics, et cetera. So this is, this is another area where I think uh, perhaps European policy could look towards reducing the, the fixed costs of entry for generics and figuring out how to better uh, facilitate competition across the EU on, for these older drugs rather than uh, just on, on the newer drugs.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much, Margaret. So our next guest is uh, Martin Cave from the London School of Economics, and uh, his research is focusing on the uh, evolution of the telecommunication industry. Martin.
3: Yes, that's right. Um, my my co authors and I have been assessing um, the extent to which the regulatory framework within the EU telecommunications has, has worked um, over the past 25 years. And just think back 25 years, there was almost no mobile. Maybe 10% of the population had a mobile phone. Broadband was unknown, very esoteric and I just think what's happened now. So in terms of the development of the sector, it's been astonishing the progress that's been made. Why is that? Well, obviously it's mostly to do with um, improvements in, in uh, engineering capability and in technology, um, but, but the European uh, institutions have managed to devise a regulatory framework which has been really very solidly pro-competitive throughout this period. And I think that's beginning to bear fruit and it's, um, it's benefited the, the population of Europe to a very great extent. So, for example, um, in in fixed telecommunications, you know, through um, through, through fiber and copper, we've been through a period where other firms were able to enter, and the the power of the monopoly um, provider um, at the beginning of the period has been diminished. Um, when the fixed telecommunications uh, activity moved into fiber, a way was found to encourage new firms to come in, so that now in countries like Spain, it's quite possible that if you live in a big city, you'll. Have a choice of fixed provider. It could be a cable company, it could be your provider, or it could be one of two um, telecoms companies. And that transition of the fixed world from what was a f- essentially a monopoly into into a small numbers market where there's competition opportunities among them has been amazing. In, in terms of mobile, it's been an easier job um, from the start because it's it's easier to construct and build up a mobile network because you don't have, you have to be tethered by the by the wires. Um, but uh, there are concerns about competition, um, and one of the things that has been done within the European framework is that the European system of merger control has been able to prevent um, mergers among, um, say, four mobile operating mobile operators, so they came down to three, which would have been detrimental to, to customers. Um, and various other things have been done by, by the regulator which have benefited. So so in my opinion, um, in telecommunications, perhaps not in all areas of regulation, this kind of top-down regulatory system that's been imposed within the European Union has been strongly beneficial.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much, Martin. Last but not least, uh, our own Michael Pollitt, from, uh, the, who is the head of the Economic and Policy Group uh, at the Cambridge Judge Business
4: School. Um, his research is looking at the electricity market. Michael. Thank you, Christos. Um, yes, yeah, so the single market in electricity has been going since around 1996 in uh, the EU. It's difficult not to be impressed by the institutional progress over that period. Uh, we've moved away from vertically integrated national monopolies such as EDF uh, in France to um, highly unbundled both horizontally and vertically, uh, electricity uh, companies. Um, we've seen in the emergence of a lot of pan-European electricity companies, which are uh, owning assets in different European countries. Um, we've seen the introduction of um, higher quality national regulation for electricity and um, significant uh, competition enforcement action by the uh, European Commission to open up cross-border competition, particularly across uh, the German borders at the centre of Europe, Um, and uh, in 2009 the emergence of a pan-European electricity regulator to resolve disputes between national electricity regulators. So from an institutional point of view and a structural change within markets point of view, they've been very significant uh, changes as a result of the single electricity market process and the directives behind it. In terms of the measured economic impact though on um, producer and consumer surplus, um, on uh, prices and costs, there is much more difficult to identify uh, a significant effect. Um, Roughly characterising the available evidence, there is certainly some evidence of cost reduction Um, uh, in underlying production costs for electricity. There's uh, uh, evidence that at the same time we've managed to significantly decarbonise the electricity sector, to introduce a lot more renewables um, and and the the single market process hasn't stood in the way of that. But in terms of the price impacts for consumers it's uh, difficult to identify price reductions for household consumers even though we have seen Uh, a lot of price convergence in wholesale electricity prices um, across European countries because of increased cross-border flows. Um, And those are the static effects. Um, In terms of dynamic effects, it's uh, also unclear whether productivity has increased or been affected by the uh, single market process. So overall I think uh, institutionally it's been uh, a great success um, but in terms of actual measured benefits it's much more difficult to measure those benefits um, and there are a number of good reasons why that's the case. Uh, these benefits are inherently difficult to measure um, because of identification problems. So many things happening at once in the electricity sector uh, particularly the renewables roll out um, with the decarbonisation agenda the extension of the EU itself over the period so the market size is changing over time um, and uh, that perhaps explains why the Commission the European Commission itself is uh, rather ambivalent on um, uh, on the single electricity market project and in a sense the Commission's position can be characterized as, yes, there's been progress, but there's still more that needs to be done in further market integration and further uh, compliance with the objectives of the single electricity market.
0: Thank you very much. So I think that's uh, that's a common message that I hear from all the different sectors, so there's been a lot of progress, but at the same time uh, there's a lot of work to be done. Um, so the European experiment continues. Uh, uh, thank you all for this and and all the articles are gonna be made available for a special issue in the review of industrial organization. Thank you all.